Good morning. Happy New Year. It's uh, lovely to be spending uh, our second day in, in January uh, together worshipping God and, I guess, reflecting on the year that's been and looking forward to the year that is um, to come. Obviously, I didn't expect to be up here this, this morning. Brian is not feeling great. I'm sure he would covet your your prayers. Um, I did hear downstairs that he was uh, self-medicating with some tablets that he'd got in the US a few years ago. So how, how well the outcome of that will be, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, Willie's away, Kevin's away, so unfortunately you're stuck um, with me. Um, I'm going to confess, like uh, most things that happen this year, uh, or at this time of year, I've had to reach into the back catalogue to, to find some Inspiration. So please forgive me for any contextual foibles, but hopefully uh, the message that I, I have is uh, appropriate for this time of year. We have a saying in Scotland, don't we, um, that's often said at, uh, at New Year, um, that I'm sure you know, which says this, Lang may your lum reek. Um, and in all honesty, up until about three years ago, I had absolutely no idea what this meant, and potentially I still don't. So if you, if you do know the real meaning and I've got it wrong, then please correct me after, but it fits with this morning. So Google translates, Lang may your lum reek as this, Long may your chimney smoke, or may you always have fuel for your fire. Metaphorically, of course, this, this means may you be sustained and may you have long life. Now, while obviously I wish everyone here long life and indeed sustenance for the year ahead, this small Scottish phrase should prompt us to to think a little bit deeper as we contemplate what lies ahead in the year 2022. In all honesty, when it comes to this time of year and as we begin to, to think about our New Year's resolutions, my thoughts, first and foremost, sometimes are selfish. What am I going to do career-wise? What am I going to achieve? How could I get fitter? I should probably give up on that one. How will the kids progress? Where are we going to go on holiday, etc.? Each year I then feel that, that challenge. And as I begin to think deeper and indeed pray, I'm often reminded that this year is not about me and what I will accomplish, but rather about what God will accomplish through me, for him and ultimately for his glory. And with that in mind, it may lead us to consider this. What am I going to do this year to ensure that there is always fuel in my fire to serve the Lord? What am I going to rely on? What am I going to invest in? What am I going to seek? What am I going to absorb myself in as I try and live out this next year for him? And thoughts of those things bring me to one of my favorite passages in Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to, to turn with me to it. Um, it's 2 Timothy, and I'm going to be reading from chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to begin just after the greeting in verse 3. It's titled this, Guard the Good Deposit entrusted to you. The words are on the screen. I'll read from the ESV. It says this, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for um, this morning. We give you thanks for this opportunity to, to come and to consider your word, to look out on to, to next year and to um, consider what you have in store for us. Lord, we pray that you would Help us to take on, on board what you say through your word, that it would challenge our actions, that it would provoke our thoughts, and Lord, that it would speak into our heart. And Father, we just pray also for, for Brian. Um, Lord, we pray that you would um, just bring about uh, peace within his body, that you would bring about um, healing, Lord, that you would help him to just uh, to get back on his feet and be free from discomfort. Um, and Lord, just be with us just now. And for your glory, we pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Second Timothy, as you know, is a letter um, from the Apostle Paul, probably just before his death to, to his younger brother in the faith, Timothy. And when Paul was writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome. He's been traveling around Asia Minor, modern day Turkey with, with Timothy and with Titus, preaching the good news and discipling them both. Um, and once they had completed their time there in Asia Minor, they headed back toward Macedonia. And on that trip, they passed through Ephesus in Greece. But when they came back to Ephesus, it became clear to them that the church that they had left behind had been taken over and infiltrated by heretics and false teachers. And as a result, Timothy stays on there to try and correct what was being taught. Paul, however, continued on his travels and was arrested and then freed and then rearrested. 
And we have him here sitting in prison, um, penning this letter to Timothy. He has already had his pre-trial hearing, and at the time of writing, he must have known that his days were numbered. He must have known the impending outcome. Therefore, Paul writes in very direct terms to Timothy, both encouraging him and instructing him to keep the faith and to persevere in preaching the gospel. And so as we think upon these words that Timothy has, has, uh, sorry, Paul has penned to Timothy and in relation to our year ahead, I think that we can draw out three lessons which would be beneficial to us if we're to keep them and keep our fires burning as we uh, look to do so for Christ in 2022. So the three lessons I think are this. Firstly, protect the faith that dwells within us. Number two, that we should fan into flames the faith that dwells within us. And then thirdly, as we conclude, that we proclaim the faith that dwells within us. Just before um, Christmas time, I was down in our offices in, in Glasgow and I was in um, the, the, the bathroom or the restroom of a, a shopping centre and as I was drying my hands, um, an advert uh, on the wall caught my eye. And it was an advert for safety deposit boxes in, in vaults in the city. And the advert explained that I could guard what I wanted for as little as £3 a month. And as I stood there leisurely drying my hands, not with one of those Dyson ones, but the old unhygienic roller things, towels, um, I began to think about the weirdness of having a, a safety deposit box advert in the washroom of a, a shopping centre. And Julie says I'm always kind of too distracted by by these things and she's probably right because as I begin to think about the the weirdness of the placement of the advert I began to think upon those who would have a need to save things in safety deposit boxes and I used began to think what would they store in those safety deposit boxes and why would they we store them there and did three pounds really get you enough protection for all the things that you wanted to store would the boxes be full of money and jewelry or would they be full of gains from illicit uh, trade or would it just be boring things like title deeds and paperwork and, and maybe some special family photos and then I began to wonder do I need a safety deposit box could was three pound worth worth parting with a month how would I get these things to Glasgow was Glasgow a, a safe place full stop I wasn't I wasn't sure so the advert had its effect right it began to make me think and to be honest the idea of safety appeals to a lot of people. We live in an age where everyone wants security, where everyone wants to guard their possessions and make sure that their valuables are safe. The internet age, if anything, has brought about a sense of mistrust with, with fake news and spyware and banking scams. The fraud industry, indeed, in the UK has been doubling year on year for the past three years. And there are more and more people like me and you keeping their hard cash under their bed or investing in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin because they don't trust the system. We've become obsessed with security. And to make that point, let me ask you three questions. Did you lock your house when you left this morning? Did you lock your car when you parked it on the street outside? 
Has your phone got a pin code? If you're like me, then the answer to all of these three things is yes. And if we are that conscious about our homes and our cars and our phones, are we also conscious about the security of our faith that dwells within us and indeed the protection of it? You will see in the latter half of verse 14 that Paul makes a direct plea with Timothy to think about his faith and indeed to guard it. He builds up to that conclusion by explaining that he has believed in Jesus and has seen firsthand Jesus' transformative power. He is saying that he is the one truth and is encouraging Timothy to be confident in his need to protect that truth. Read with me the the tail end of verse 12 through to 14. But I am ashamed, not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. These words from Paul to Timothy were timely. As I've already mentioned, Timothy is in Ephesus and he's trying to correct the wayward preaching and teaching of those who have infiltrated the local church. When Timothy received this letter, Timothy had already been slogging it out there for four years. But now Paul was facing impending execution at the hands of Emperor Nero, who had come down hard on Christians to try and distract the people from the political problems that he was facing at that time in Rome. And upon his execution, Paul knew fine well that life would become more challenging for Timothy without his spiritual mentor there to help him Keep the church within the bounds of sound doctrine, whilst also encouraging believers to live their lives well for the sake of Christ. He knew that Timothy's task was going to be a hard and thankless one. And so he writes to him to remind him of Jesus. To highlight to him that no matter what problems he is facing, That no matter how many people would gang up on him, that no matter how hard things would become, how hard people would try and distort the truth of the gospel, that Jesus was still Jesus and the truth was still the truth. And that God, through his Holy Spirit, living within Timothy, would grant Timothy all the tools that he needed to defend the faith and to stand firm in the face of adversity. Church, we face a time right now where it's not popular to be a Christian. And even within the evangelical church, we face a time where it's not popular to hold true to what we would regard as traditional Christian values and theological doctrine. We face pressures to conform to the new social norms of our time. We face pressures in the name of inclusion to exclude the very practices that are at the center of our faith. One of my pastors from previous, during a a small group discussion, when asked what he thought the next five to ten years would bring in the UK, he answered the question like this. In the next five to ten years, I think it will be illegal in the UK to claim that Jesus 
is the only way to heaven. In the name of inclusion, my view will be excluded because it will be offensive to claim that there is only one truth. Now that may or may not come to pass, but there is without doubt a fast-moving agenda to sideline traditional Christian thought. And brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to, to one another, to each other, to our families, and more importantly, to Jesus, to guard the faith that he has deposited within us. We have a responsibility, don't we, to stand up and to be counted There is a need for us to understand Christian doctrine and be prepared to defend it in the everyday situation. When we are having those discussions and conversations with our co-workers, when we are teaching our kids, when we are writing on social media and commenting on blogs, when we are expressing our feelings and our opinions and coming under challenge about our viewpoints, it's important that we defend what we believe. Ollie mentioned Bonhoeffer, a man who stood up when it was not popular to speak the Jesus narrative. And at times, it's not going to be easy. It's not fun being the only one in the office that holds a different opinion. It's not fun being the odd one out at school or university or college. It's not fun being the only one family member with a Christian faith. But that is what we are called to do. And that's what we are called to be. We are not called to be popular. Paul tells us in verse 8, he says to Timothy that we are to share in suffering for the gospel. Perseverance in our faith can have great rewards, can't it? We can lead others to Christ. We can share in his love. We can experience the joy of his salvation and we can pass it on to generations that are to follow us. You will notice in our opening part there to the letter that Timothy, Timothy's mother and grandmother are referred to and the inference here is that his mother and his grandmother have guarded the faith and passed it on to Timothy, something of a very positive encouragement. What a testimony. You know, I would give so much just now, give so much just now to live a life where God willing, Benjamin, Jessica, Ella and Lachlan grow up to be men and women of the faith and that they would reflect on these formative years and give thanks for a dad and mom who passed to them the treasure of their faith. That's what we're called to do as parents. And I don't hope and pray for this to stoke my own pride. But I look at our world and I see what it's becoming and I see the harsh realities of being a child or a youngster in this generation. And I just pray that somehow, through the mayhem and through the distraction, that the likes of Benjamin and our other young people would see Jesus in me and that they would see it in the brothers and sisters that we have in this gathering. And so when we look out on the year 22 and we acknowledge that we have a faith that we have to guard, we should also look out into the year 22 knowing that we have a faith that we need to fan into flame. 
One of the distinguishing things about Christianity compared to other world faiths is that our faith is a living faith. We don't just have an ideology to guard, but rather we have faith in someone who has the power to heal, the power to save, to calm storms, to bring galaxies into motion. The hand that held the straw in the manger is the same hand that holds the world together. When you first come to faith... When you first have that fire lit within you and you become alive. Paul reminds us that we have a responsibility, a duty, a need to feed that fire, to stoke that fire, to make it burn brighter and brighter so that it may become white hot, so that it may be absolutely ablaze for God. Our faith is a gift from God. The fire is an Active, unashamed, uncompromising and powerful faith. A faith that is a gift from God and a faith that is dependent upon us. Feeding it and making it burn more fiercely. But because our God is a loving God. He makes this whole process about his goodness. And about his grace. John Piper puts it this way. God makes the flame of his gifts dependent on our feeding, but he then in turn makes our feeding dependent upon his grace. If you have the gift of faith, then you have been called. And in order to get the gift of faith, you need his grace. Verse 9, who, that's God, saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We can't go into this year thinking that we'll accomplish anything for God without first realizing that we are solely dependent upon him to help us accomplish things for him. And I can testify to this probably about 15 years ago to the day in my student days, I was asked to, to lead uh, part of an initiative that would bring street football and the gospel to an area here in Aberdeen. And at the time, I thought it would be great. I thought I would uh, lead this initiative and we'd be re- reaching um, out to kids who um, had, had challenging upbringings. Um, and I thought in doing so that my parents would be impressed, my peers would be impressed, the leaders of my church would be impressed this would be a great thing to do and that it would work really well. And so we began and on the first night we had five kids and the next week we had three kids and then the following week we had no kids and the week after that we had one kid and it wasn't going well. It was a million miles away from from this picture that I'd had in my head, this picture that I dreamt up of what it would look like. I thought it would look like this and would accomplish that And really, in reality, it wasn't looking like that and it wasn't accomplishing very much. And I remember sitting down with the guy who was my accountability partner at the time and I was explaining the the situation to him. And I always remember his reply. He said, Derek, if it's not, if it's for him, you should be relying on him. Derek, if it's for him, you should be relying on him. And at first that hurt because I did think I was doing it for him. But with hindsight and some self-reflection, I came to realize that I needed to refocus my attention 
of what I wanted it to look like against what God wanted it to look like. And after I was able to let go of the sense of it being about me and through me, and rather about him and through him, the ministry grew and it blossomed and kids came to faith. And God was glorified. So fan the flames, feed the flames. Remember that we've been brought with a price. Our salvation is unmerited, yet through his grace it is freely given. He was thinking about you and he was thinking about me before we were born. And he has kindled within you a fire that he wants you to ignite. This year, let us invest our time in prayer. Let us immerse ourselves in the word. Let us use the encouragement of our brothers and sisters to spur us on. Let us step into this year, not with a spirit of timidity, but one with boldness. Let us believe that through him and by him, all things are possible. Paul likes the fire and heat analogy. If you were to turn to Romans 12 and verse 11, you would see this. Do not be slothful in zeal, but boil in spirit. In other words, don't hold anything back from putting all of your energy into igniting your faith. Protect the faith that dwells within you. Fan the faith that dwells within you. And finally, proclaim the faith that dwells within you. Verse 8 again, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul is telling Timothy here that he has a duty to share in the advance of the gospel. And he doesn't try and cover up the fact that that proclamation of the gospel will go hand in hand with suffering and disappointment. In fact, Paul ends this section by reminding Timothy that all that were in Asia, and that's a lot of people, all that were in Asia turned away from him. He mentions two people in particular, Phygeles and Hermogenes. And from other parts of scripture, commentators suggest that these two people that turned away from Paul were two of his closest friends. And when it came to his court case, not only did they not seek to defend him, but they completely disappeared. They departed and they didn't stand with him. And the reason for that is that they possibly and probably feared death. At best, they feared repercussion for their actions. At worst, potentially death. Rome was indeed a terrible place for the Christian during that time. But quite frankly, their convictions didn't run just as deep as Paul's. And conviction is a key factor in our ability or our willingness to proclaim the gospel. Josh McDowell, the evangelist and apologist, says this. Having convictions can be defined as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. Belief in Christ and his word are objectively true and relationally meaningful such that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. That describes Paul. That's what it says here in his letter to Timothy, verse 10. 
that which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought about life and immortality in light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Bonhoeffer knew whom he had believed. Paul knows who he has believed. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and his resurrection and his grace toward the repentant sinner. And that's why I, Paul, am so unashamed and so convicted to proclaim his gospel. Even if it means my suffering and death. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to encourage you too, Timothy, to do exactly the same. The man who has become like a son to me, I am going to encourage you to step out and to do all that you can to proclaim the gospel. Because I know whom I have believed. I know that he is the saviour. And there is no turning back. Paul's Jesus is our Jesus. And the 2,000 years or so of intervening time between Paul walking the earth and us walking the earth does not dilute the requirement for all people to be told about Jesus. And if we don't take that responsibility to tell our friends or our family, our co-workers, our acquaintances about Jesus, then who do we expect to take that responsibility? An American pastor, Stephen Cole, tells a story um, through one of his sermons. It's a story of a Chinese farmer who had his cataracts removed from his eyes at a Christian mission clinic. And a few days later, the missionary doctor who had removed the farmer's cataracts looked out of the window and noticed the farmer holding the end of a long rope. And in single file holding on to the rope were several dozen blind Chinese who had been rounded up by this farmer and led for miles to the doctor who had worked a miracle on his eyes. The farmer had experienced the gift of sight and he was so joyful for the fact that he wanted to help bring about this same transformation for many. For us then gathered here who have had Jesus open our eyes and transform our lives eternally, how many people are we going to try and bring along the rope? Are we going to proclaim Jesus because we are unashamed, convicted and willing to suffer because we know that what he promises is worth it? Do we really know who we have believed? We are to guard the faith that dwells within us. We are to fan into flames the faith that dwells within us. We are to proclaim the faith that dwells within us. I don't know how many of us make New Year's resolutions. You may have read in the past that the Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg makes a point of making and sharing his New Year resolution at the start of each calendar year. In the past he's Pledge to learn Mandarin, to run 365 miles or to read a new book each week of the year. His 2018 pledge was perhaps his loftiest to date. It was to fix Facebook. I wonder, however, if us gathered here were to set ourselves lofty ambitions 
in 2022? Would it be to guard and to resolve ourselves to looking after the good deposit? Would it be to fan our faith into flames? Would it be that we would proclaim our faith, a life-changing faith for the masses? Will we resolve to making 22 our best year yet in the service of our King? Remember the hymn, but I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the year that lies ahead, Lord, we pray that it would be our prayer that we would be mindful of the gift of your salvation. And Lord, that we would seek to defend that faith that's been entrusted to us, that we would be like Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lord, looking to guard the good deposit, to keep the integrity of that deposit. Lord, to not allow it to be conformed to the ways of the world, but Lord, to stand firm in our faith. And Father, we pray that we would be active and interested in investing in that faith of fanning it into flame. And Lord, most importantly, telling others about the good deposit that we have entrusted to us. Lord, that we wouldn't keep it locked in a vault, but we would share it with all those who are yet to know you. Father, I pray that for all of us, that the year 2022 would be a year where our faith shines brighter for you. In your precious Son's name. Amen.